0: Prayer is, is not asking God to report to duty, it's you reporting to duty. What do you want me to do today, God? Not, That's right. not I'm, here's what I want you to do today, God. Oh, it's a, it's a great way to pray.
1: Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations
0: that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us.
1: Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And we are continuing through our sermon series through the book of John called Believe. And we wrapped up, Darren, you wrapped up chapter two this week
0: and aptly titled the sermon Saved by the Well. I, I was looking for at least one Topanga reference and then I realized, I don't know, is that the one that Topanga was in? Incorrect. What was that one? That was Boy Meets World. Oh, huh, Boy Meets World! My uh, lack of <laughs> uh, of '90s uh, bad sitcoms in the oh, '90s. Oh come uh, on! My lack of those it is. are,
1: dude. You're you're insulting half of our listening audience because uh, I mean, Boy Meets World and Saved by the Bell were like,
0: yeah, uh, uh, yeah, we and, impactful. For our generation, yeah, because your generation was in your Z- teens. Zach Morris and Kelly Kapowski and Screech. So I know about the Screech. I, I do you remember him? And he was Saved by the Bell, right? That's right. Okay, I remember that one. Uh, but the problem is, is that by that point, I was an adult man. Like I was making. <laughs> Grown up decisions. I was having relations with my wife, like we were making babies, like we were, like we're trying to figure out how to like pay the rent. So I didn't have time to like. Yeah, Saved by the Bell launched Fall of '89. Did it really? So okay, so that's actually really interesting. I thought for some reason it was way in the '90s, but Fall of '89, and then it it ran to like mid '90s, and that was it. Yeah. So Fall of '89, uh, your boy DT. Was in my, I was in a car on the way to Tulsa, Oklahoma. No, I, was, I was already there by, for three months by that point, by the fall. But that was 18 years old. I got a handshake from my dad and a crisp $100 bill. Go actually, get them. Actually, it wasn't even a crisp one. It was like wadded up. I'm not sure where he got it from. But I got $100 and my piece of crap, Oldsmobile Buick, and just drove to Tulsa. So I don't even know if I would have had cable, quite honestly. Like I had just TV over yeah. the air. Yeah, like it would have been probably probably that? Like I definitely don't remember it was watching on, TV. It in came that on time. Saturday mornings, man. Oh, for crying. Oh yeah, I was working by then. So that's why. Yeah. So it was like Battle of the Super Friends and then Saved by the Bell. Like was it Yeah, it was like like mid mid morning towards lunch, Saved by the Bell would come on. Huh. And uh Oh, that's for sure why I don't know anything about it. I was going to college and Saturdays were for working. Like, I was, working. I was nine. <laughs> nine. <laughs> Lord. Nine. So were you even know. old enough to know that the girls were good-looking like, at that point? Like, I mean, I'm i am pretty sure I figured it out pretty quickly. But at nine, right? I, mean, it, I don't know. It's like I mean. more like admiring a bike, you know? It's a really cool bike. It's a good-looking yeah. bike. I thought Zach was cool, you know? And I thought the other guy,
1: Mario Lopez's character, which his name's drawn a blank, I thought he was like totally ripped, like he was the jock like, he was the football uh-huh. player. I thought that was cool I mean, I figured it out over the over the yeah. course of the uh you know saved by the bell series saved by the well well I so yeah saved by the well was it was a uh was it was it was deep that was that was the that was a deep well you chose
0: from right there. And I, I, I've tied it together. I feel like it was at best an obscure reference because it didn't get nearly the response I had hoped. Well, I appreciated it. And <laughs> looking out there like, well, about three people understood what that was. Like, and you know, obviously the saving, you know, the wedding was saved by, you know, the water well, but also the Jesus well. and the Yeah, because the end of chapter two is the wedding
1: that Jesus uh, yeah. turns the water into yeah. wine. So it's actually the
0: beginning of chapter two.
1: Yes, I'm Mo sorry. was working on Sunday. Yeah, I was
0: working. If you're ever looking for Mo, uh, just keep looking because he's he's moving somewhere. It's a blur. Yeah, but yeah. So it's the beginning of two. But it, it's I only know that because I'm like I'm. We're getting ready to clean the temple this Sunday, and that's right. And that's was, the end of chapter yeah, two. And I was oh, I was trying to schedule, so you had to do that one, but blew it. So I'm doing it. But you know, wedding and honestly, that might have been a better one for you since you have like. Your neck just d- came off of a yeah, wedding. Your neck deep in weddings at this point. Like
1: yeah, the weddings behind us. Our our youngest son got married over the summer, a month ago, and so yeah, that was a party. Mm-hmm. We did not run out of wine, right?
0: Because there wasn't. Because you were going to say there wasn't any. <laughs> <laughs> now I will say this: uh, watching the dance floor, it didn't seem to matter that there was no wine in you know the wedding. Like you guys <clears throat> were like, there were there were things that happened on that dance floor. That uh, that maybe shouldn't have. Well, we have all these young married (laughs) families, and like, it definitely had the vibe Uh, of like, is someone like sneaking in whiskey in this sanctuary here? Because the Holy Spirit, y'all were uh, getting lit, as the kids (laughs) would say. But uh, weddings, which is you know, Jesus in general gets invited to a wedding, which is whose wedding was it? So we don't know, but there's clues there's clues that it was probably a family wedding. And, and here's why a, a stone ceremonial jar would have been either wealthy people or a Levitical like priest home um, because of ceremonial cleansing. And if you go back to, you know, Luke and you know, that John the Baptist was the cousin, Zachariah was a priest, you know, the prophecy and all that, you know, So there was definitely a priestly connection into Jesus's relationships, his extended family, and the fact that it was Mary that was concerned about the wine. You know, it would have been like at yours if, uh, like, say, TJ wasn't bumping the mix, you know, who would have gone to try to find TJ? You know, maybe, you know, Brady or something. But most likely it would have been Jenny would have gone, you know, mother, someone related to the wedding is going to go to try to figure out why we're not bumping more music. Get this thing figured out. So, for whatever reason, that, that, that's that's complete conjecture. But when you look at the clues of it, that seems to be that it was a uh, by, by where it was located on Galilee, by the fact that Mary was concerned about the the wine and that she goes to Jesus for it, and candidly, the fact that his disciples were invited because you know how that goes. Like you, you, you only got so many people. Man, it's a challenge, right? You can only invite so many you know and, and you you know you you're a pastor so you got a bunch of people in the church your 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 kids all got their bros you got to figure out so th- the fact that the disciples made the list indicates that they were probably close to this family somehow how many disciples would it have been at that time uh you didn't have all 12
1: by someone, then no he?
0: i think correct me if i'm wrong but i think it's five i think we're talking nathaniel philip andrew james john simon we at five? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's five at that point. If, if Just based on chapter one,
1: it was five. Okay. Um, it's dude. pretty impressive. That, I mean, that they were invited, that they came, that this, like, yeah. definitely had to be a close family member
0: of some sort. Yeah, you would think so. Because these guys, I mean, these were multi-day events. And it was a— Well, that's interesting to think about, too. Uh-huh. Because
1: that's not necessarily—I mean, that's not what we do. Um, in western culture for a wedding it's it's a one
0: and done it's oh yeah not okay. multi-day week long yeah i mean it's think about how expensive it is right just well good lord think about how expensive it is for a wedding i don't have to think about it yeah i just know yeah you're triggered by it um but for the for them it was expensive but it was also that this was a big deal for the bride and the groom um because as as a, as a female, you are, by this point, you have no voting, well, voting rights, nobody had voting rights, but no rights as a human. You're basically considered like three quarters of a human. Uh, in fact, in Jewish tradition, uh, the, the the super orthodox, especially then, they would have viewed women as like, I'd rather be a dog than a woman, like which is fascinating. B- but that was their cultural thing. So if you are a father of a daughter... And you have someone now that will take care of her financially, make sure that she's protected, all, all that stuff. It's a big deal. We had just watched um, Pride and Prejudice. I can't believe you admitted that on Sunday. I'm sorry. I, I mean, to... that— That's <sighs> embarrassing. But here's the thing. So Wednesday nights, um, we've officially—we are three-quarter empty in the nest at this point. Okay. Yeah. And there is one day a week that we are 100% guaranteed that Ethan's not going to interrupt anything, if you know what I'm saying. I'm picking up what you're stepping in. And – which is about a three-hour block. Now, if we sit down and watch what I want to watch – this will not result in her being in the mood if you know what i'm saying yeah because it's you know documentary it's a bbc thing it's yeah, exactly ancient rome like history you know that, that doesn't like uh, doesn't make her flutter um so you know pride and prejudice uh flutter it, and oddly enough she had actually never seen it before what and i know i was like i was honestly it was probably cuz Sandra bullock wasn't in it um or, in, or Witherspoon, like for whatever reason she 's seen everything those two women have ever made, but yeah neither none of those were in there. In fact, we went through about half the the movie uh thinking that it was uh Natalie Portman, <laughs> and it wasn 't and I can't remember who it was now, but it was like it was it was Natalie Portman, and there was some other else, and we were convinced and finally you know you know we can actually Google this like we don't have to sit here and act like we 're savages in the nineties, like we. And then it was some girl that I should have known and just don't in any way. But uh Kiara Knightley. That one. Gideon, that one. And and by the way, in a million years, if someone had put a gun to my head and said, You got fifty chances to say who this is, uh, you guys would be uh memorializing me this week because I would have never gotten that. This like, is the new version of Pride and Prejudice. And I chose it on for that reason, thinking that my wife might be a little more uh fluttery uh for lack of a better word. um but here's the thing about it that was interesting there's a scene in this film where there's this just little twerp that once the girl's hand i think it's elizabeth wants her hand in, in marriage and the mom's like oh my gosh this is amazing and, and the, the Kira knightley character is she's refusing and but the, but this other girl says she ends up pers- taking a proposal from this guy and She's looking at her sister, going, "Don't judge me because I get protection. I have provision. I've, you know, I'm not like you. I, I may never get this chance again." And so it was actually this very. uh, It takes all the romance out of it, right? Because this is literally a business transaction, right? Yeah, That's right? true. But here's what's amazing about the idea of the gospel, and this jumped out at me that from Pride and Prejudice was, the this other girl Elizabeth the uh, Kira Knightley was uh, she's refusing to do just for this. It's for love. You know, it's it's the Jane Austen novel, so she's only going to marry for love. The wedding that Jesus wants us to have in mind is not one where we are negotiated simply for our safety and simply for our provision, but where we are chosen because we are loved. And that's different. Like that's a profound difference between any other kind of wedding and this one. This one was not a negotiated by the father. This one is a chosen by the bridegroom. We take that for granted in our culture because that's how it always is. You only marry for love. On what planet, right, would your kids or my kids have thought, hey, my parents are going to sit down and negotiate now. You know, like with the Sheplers, for uh, we're going to make you get married. Like, th- th- we don't even understand that. And by the way, that happens regularly in most developing nations to this day in cultures like that where it's arranged marriages. And we look at that with a sense of, you know, dowries are
1: involved, cash, cattle. You know, this actually happened to my wife when she went to Israel um, and she was 17 or 18 for a uh, school trip. 17 or uh, 18, oh my gosh. And somebody offered two camels and like three goats uh, for my wife that day. And the, <laughs> like the guide had to like intervene and step in and no oh, it was like a whole thing. So we laugh about it now. Well always- you
0: should because that dude was leaving camels on the table. If you'd have <laughs> taken that deal... If she'd have gone for two, it's that, it, look, uh, like, I mean, what's the, I don't uh, know what the currency should have been. But. I, yeah. I don't want to make this awkward or nothing because she's your <laughs> wife, but she's at least a 30 camel girl. Like that's there's right. no go. two camels. That dude was negotiating. He was, you <laughs> know, start low. Uh, you know, if they'd have, if, if her to daddy to give it her for two camels, man, he, you know, leave yeah. So, but, but I mean, that's, that's the thing, you know, like they're. This is not—in this wedding, speaking of wine and the party and all that, um, when you go and look at the the, the imagery of of weddings over the Bible—in fact, if, when you even get into the Old Testament, like you see the prophet that uh, married Gomer, um, who she betrayed. She was the one that was unfaithful. She was the one that was a prostitute. And, and if I were a real pastor who went to a real seminary, I would literally know this prophet's name right now. But he— God said to stay don't leave him, her stay with her. And I, that's the idea of the imagery of this marriage is not that we are just getting some negotiated deal. This is a you were chosen, loved, embraced. Was not it Hosea? Hosea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hosea. And Gomer, I'm pretty sure it's Gomer. Yeah, it's Gomer. Um but that's the idea. This is it's so Pride and Prejudice was was actually um, helpful for two reasons. It helped me to understand, uh, my wife, but also helped me then to understand the, the, just the imagery of, of, of a wedding from any other culture besides the one that we're currently, currently in, which is the image of a bride that was chosen, pursued, loved, you know, she loves you know, the bride loves the, the groom as well. And even if you're unfaithful, the groom loves you so much that he's going to stay like that's, in fact just a couple chapters it's actually in Matthew where Jesus talks about the idea of that the only uh, the, the, the only re, uh, reason legitimate whatever for div- uh, for divorces is unfaithfulness um and a lot has been made out of that in context out of context but whatever you think it means what it does mean is that as the bridegroom he gives him if, if unfaithfulness is the legitimate reason to put your spouse away he gives himself the out as the bridegroom from me, and then he doesn't take it. Exactly. Like yes, that's the bridegroom that we're talking. He is good yes. with it, and so if, if if we don't get anything else across, yes. like that's what we have to know is that this is a, this isn't just some negotiation. There's there's a reason why this was his first miracle. it's oh, good.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Gomer and Hosea. Um, you know, I learned. I learned about Gomer, and every time I think of Gomer, I think of Third Day, their song.
0: Don't you remember the song? No. Oh come on, dude, dude! Believe it or not, when I was booking bands, I rarely listened to their music. Oh man, I, this, you're not talking about the Derek Webb song, are you? No,
1: no. They had they had a they had a song. Um, I guess yeah, it was on the Conspiracy number no. 5 record. Yeah, I was there. Gomer's theme was like the last track of the song. Was it like some hidden
0: track deep in the record? I mean, it was the last track of the song. Oh man, I was too busy counting money. I didn't <laughs> We were <laughs> what's 15% of, the, you know, that was what <laughs> right. we were at. No, but I I will say that's really funny. No, here's
1: why. That's that's the only that's my reference for when I hear Gomer and Hosea, I immediately think Third Day Conspiracy number no. 5 record. Okay.
0: Did you like that record? I loved that record. Yeah, see, that was the problem. It came to life. Uh-huh. That was the problem. So we... Uh, Did that not, album not do oh, well? No. Oh, come on. No. Dude, you could look at the third day album sales on a chart between records, and it, and it looks it looks like a heart attack. <laughs> because, oh, really? And it was this internal between... And I, I'm not saying anything... I don't think I'm saying anything that everybody doesn't know, but between, between Mac and Ty... Sure, okay. Mac was the guy that said, "Man, we're just from, from that first record with the burlap site, whatever it was. We're just a worship band, and we lift Jesus's name up, and people are just naturally drawn into that. We, you know, so if we're successful by any means, that that's the only reason why." And Ty's like, "I want to be a rock and roll guy, man. We're you know the rock band, so they would literally go from a worship record which would sell gold, and they would do like a conspiracy number, th- whatever it was, five record, uh-huh. and it would sell like two hundred fifty thousand copies." Man. So, and I might be wrong, it might be platinum and gold, but it was literally they would it would go in half between the two records when it was between Worship and between uh Conspiracy Number 5. So, I I probably was offended by that record uh not, just not by the content but by the fact that now I'm trying to, you know, they're not selling tickets for this record. Uh So, Gomer, what was it called? Gomer's
1: Gomer's theme. Gomer's theme. You need to go. Yeah, it's a it's a deep cut in the record. You
0: need to go check it out. It's pretty good to go check it out. Okay. I'm. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> do you ever go back and listen to the band you represented? I do. Which
1: ones? Oh man, I'll break out. Um, I'll break out an old Fireflight record Kay. occasionally just to get because some rock you, and
0: roll. Because you enjoy the music, or yeah, because you're like wanting both. To like masochist and want to just
1: no, no. Like I enjoy it, and um, it just brings. I mean, it does. It brings back a lot of good memories. Um, of just a, just a different season of life and things that we were doing and accomplishing. And I don't know, I take pride in my work. And so I wanted to, I, sometimes I'll go back and listen to it. There's a couple albums out there that I'm like, man, I can't believe we put that out there, um, from maybe other artists, but yeah, I'll huh. go back occasionally and listen to some.
0: Yeah. I, I I'm trying actually, this is going to sound terrible. Cause I don't know who, I don't even know who, look, nobody's listening to this podcast. Right. So I can say, speak freely. Um, if I liked the record, it was actually a bad sign for success. Because <laughs> you weren't the right. You've 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 talked about that before. Yeah. Because you
1: weren't the demographic. Perhaps. Yeah.
0: If I, you know, I get a free one, so I really didn't care what I thought. Like, I, what would make somebody want to buy the record? And I was pragmatic enough. Um, but well, I, I, I was, th- I guess, the only other difference. I was
1: as old, or sometimes younger, than my the artist I was representing. Um, that's fair. It it, it just kind of a weird thing that happened with a lot of the artists that I represented. Um, just kind of when I entered the scene and came into the, 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 into that market, uh, a lot of the artists I represented were my same age or I was actually younger than. So I don't know if that makes a difference. Uh, Maybe.
0: Um, okay. So I was 23 and like Dan and Charlie, those guys were like 20, like they had the first jars record the first jars record they were i think 19 or 20 maybe um i knew they couldn't they couldn't rent a car i remember that was a problem for touring the third day guys were older though they were like my they were probably my age like 23 or 24 because they'd already been at it five years like driving around a conversion van playing like you know just crappy little shows all over georgia and
1: Speaking of jars of clay, I mean that's what this whole thing is about, right? And that's what I thought was really interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. a brilliant
0: segue to dig us out of this little CCM nostalgia hole. Well, what <laughs> was
1: interesting? It's true. it's true because what you talked about is the ceremonial jars, <laughs> which a lot of people that I've talked to throughout this week, kind of just you know talking about the um, talking about the teaching, yeah, small groups, whatever. Talking about the ceremonial jars and and all of that's wrapped around that in of itself y- yeah. is
0: compelling the thing about the bible and joey says this a lot and it's worth repeating and that's that if it's in there it's because we do need to know it and if it's not in there it's not that it's not interesting or whatever it's just that you can only for this book not to be four four hundred thousand pages long you know god had at some point say that we're going to include this and not include that he specifically included things in this story that it was on the third day right like third that, day th- third day giddy up uh it's true. We got jars of clay and third day in the same story. And I didn't get any of that on Sunday. Sermon prep team, man, what are you doing? We're, we're supposed to do this before the sermon. Uh, so on the third day, that's included in there. And and, and it's included that he says to use the ceremonial stone jars, which is amazing because they would have had jars. It would be like us having like the the wedding ran out of Pepsi and there's all these empty two liter bottles instead of going and filling the two liter bottles with Pepsi. You know, he says, hey, go outside and get the horse tank. Like it's, It would have been such a random shift from, like, why wouldn't we just use the Pepsi bottles? Why don't we just use these clay jars? Important because the imagery that he is saying, and it, and he does say this is the first sign by which he displayed his glory and the disciples believed in him. Um, so it wasn't like his, it, it, yeah, it was his first miracle, but it was the first sign by which he displayed his glory, meaning that he, I'm telling you the story of why I have come. So a clay jar, the Levitical law would say that if a clay jar was to be made impure, the only result, uh, you have to shatter it and make a new one that for a ceremonial jar. If they're impure, shatter them, go away. Somewhere along uh, this, like like 32 BC, somewhere, somewhere in, there's like about 100 to 200 years of Jewish antiquity where... Suddenly, stone jars are on the scene, and they 're on the scene they 're expensive because it wasn 't you know these are they 're literally it's like you got a boulder, and somebody's now carving a jar out of the boulder it 's not like they're just gluing boulders to get yeah you know. so it's it was expensive yeah um, but the reason was is that uh if you, if, if for whatever reason, it becomes impure, which happens in a, whatever, you don't have to destroy it. So it's a, it's a long-term investment as opposed to a one. And Jesus says, instead of taking those clay jars, take these stone jars, which would have defiled them, by the way, because you're putting water into them that wasn't being used for ceremonial cleansing and then wine was going to come out of them. So you're now, he's actually defiling these jars technically for what they were made for, fill them to the brim and the imagery that Jesus was pulling from, I believe, is uh, Paul would say in Corinthians that this treasure is held in jars of clay, right? And at the end, you know we go on, Paul would go on to say that these jars of clay, see he, he goes on to talk about it's like a tent at some point, it's just going to fold up and go away. These bodies are not going to last forever. But your heart, your spirit, it will go on forever. And Ezekiel. 37, I think, 36. So, Ezekiel something. If I had my notes, I would tell you. Um, he he talks about, I'm going to take your stone heart and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. Uh, that's the gospel. Like in Jeremiah 31, I'm going to write my words on your heart, right on your mind. But this stone heart is going to be made into a, a heart of flesh. And so, this imagery is of a stone heart with the water. Being put into it, water of the Holy Spirit, which he's going to say over and over again. He, so We're not just talking about, oh, well, we're talking about the living well. Going into it and then out of it coming wine, right, where, which over and over again is representative of blood. He's the, it's he's literally painting a picture of what he's going to do to our hearts, is create a, this old stone heart and create something now that life and joy comes out of because the water of the Spirit goes in and the joy of the Spirit comes out. That Yeah,
1: that's so good. I, I don't know. I don't know how many of us have caught that over the years that we've heard this story, the depth of the symbolism and the depth of what Jesus was trying to teach. And it's interesting, kind of his tone. It's almost, well, when he says, uh, when he says, woman, why do you involve me? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, (laughs) which is hilarious. And. A phrase that I'm using around the house now.
0: Around the house, you're using it at the office. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, Darren, why do you involve me in this? But it's first. almost
1: like he was. At first, it seems as if he's a little reluctant to step into this new, this new information for everyone else. Not reluctant, but like, okay, like here we go. Like, yeah. we're this is we're about to enter into a season now that's that everyone's going to. Just to know, to start to know. Yeah,
0: I'm. um, So when you get to a when you get to a sentence like that, where the tone isn't clearly communicated, that it's now you have to sort of intuit. Which is yeah, it's hard to tell, you know. And so, is it that he was hesitant? Is it that that she? Because his next statement was, "My hour has not yet come." Right, John twelve, John thirteen, and John seventeen, and probably more. He refers to his. Hour as his hour of his death, yeah. So it's like woman, you know, she's like she can, hey, Jesus. We're out of wine, and his response is, oh, "It's not my, I'm not. T- it's not. My, I'm not ready to die. Yeah, it's not time to die. Like that's technically what he was saying, even though she might not have understood that in that way. I, you know, if you just take out all the implications of it of it, trying to intuit, it could just very well be a legitimate question. Why do you involve me?
1: Yeah. Why do you ask somebody else? Yeah, <laughs> like, huh? like who am I to? Yeah, fix this problem. I'm just a guest at the right. wedding.
0: Or another idea of it is like, it's it's G, like, what do you want from this relationship with me? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want from me? Not what, you know, who, like, it's not why do you involve me? I'm too busy. I got crap to do. It's why me of all the people in this wedding. Like, why me? Like, why would I be the one that you're involving in this? Like, what, what is it about me? And it's a legitimate question for Jesus, for us. A, why don't we involve him in everything? And then the other is, why do we involve him? Which is, is it just to get something out of him? Is it something because I, I want to, you know, hit the, the Jesus slot machine or to right. rub the Buddha's belly? Or is it I'm involving him because I, he is my brother? He is, you know, God is my father. I'm involving him because he is my family. Because th- that's the thing. Then he goes right on to say... Or she goes on to say, like, she doesn't, and this, this was so, this jumped out at me like crazy. She didn't actually tell him the solution. She just told him the problem. Like, I'm involving you, Jesus, because you probably figure this out. You know what to do here. And do whatever he tells you, including and not limited to nothing. If he says nothing, don't do anything. Like, that's the idea of, of the obedience of that. I, much of my prayer life, as I was really convicted by, is spent with me telling Jesus what to do, right? She, she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And mine is, hey, Jesus, uh, he, heal this person. Jesus, provide for me. Get me this job. I'm literally telling Jesus what to do in my prayers as opposed to doing whatever he tells me to do as a result of my prayers. It's a, a, a different way. And, and if you pray that way, I mean, God's not mad at you. you know. But at the same time, he's not going to do you what. He's just not going to do everything I tell him to do. He's way too smart for that. Yeah, that's what a spoiled brat does. His boss, their a spoiled brat, tells mom the problem and the solution. Sometimes just skips right to the solution. Give me this. Give me this. Uh and God loves you way, way too much to spoil you. Yeah, it's a, it's
1: an interesting take. Um, because I think. I think we all kind of do struggle with that in our prayers with leading with commands mm-hmm. um, these these action words like Do this, heal this person, give me this, not maybe give me this, but provide this like there's a lot of there are yeah. a lot of command language that we use in our prayers, yeah, I mean there
0: is the you know, letting the Bible interpret the Bible. There are some scriptures, you know, you, you can have whatever you say. Like, there, I right. see why. By the way, that is in the context of the gospel. Again, back to, you know, take the text out of the context and you're just left with a con. But uh, there, there are, there's an argument to be made, and believe me, people have made it and written books about it, that you should be specific in your prayers so that when they're answered, you know they were answered. Okay, that is one way to do it. And our God is merciful and big enough. To, uh, to to just say no to the ones that he's not going to answer. Like No is just as much of an answer as yes is. And the older I've gotten, I'm just more at peace with saying, God, do whatever you want to do. That's right. Jesus, this is the problem. And I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. And just kind of leave it at that. Like, that's a pretty good prayer life. I, I cannot remember which theologian it was. Probably Spurgeon. It seems like every time I can't remember, it's going to be a Spurgeon one. But prayer is is not asking God to report to duty, it's you reporting to duty. What do you want me to do today, God? Not, That's right. not I'm, Here's what I want you to do today, God. Uh, it's it's a great way to pray uh and a lot of freedom in it. and truth is, um he, he already knows what's in your heart, right? so he's you know anyway, I, do what He tells you to do instead of him doing what you tell him to do uh is a way better way to follow Jesus. He makes a great master, and he is—he uh, he's, he's, is not signed up to be my servant or my genie.
1: What do you think the implications are for him, um, or for the description in this chapter when they say uh, they filled it to the brim? Right. You you, you alluded to that a little bit on Sunday. It, Chris, what do you think about <laughs> that, man? When you read that, um, it's it's so interesting. It's funny because like I'm thinking if you fill it to the brim, you're gonna spill it. Like you're making a mess. Oh, like like I wouldn't, I would not have done that. I would have said, okay, you know, because you got to, someone's got to carry these. They're gonna things. carry them. They're gonna spill all over the place. Like you're wasting it. Some people are gonna get messy.
0: They don't have sippy cups, right? There's no right. like cap for this thing. I don't think.
1: Yeah, like why they didn't put like screw a top on it. Yeah, like for it to not splash and spill. So uh, for me, it's like why, I've
0: never thought of that. Yeah, like why would you fill it right. all the way up when
1: it's just gonna go everywhere anyways? Yeah. You gotta
0: move these things. So growing up Pentecostal, fill it to the brim was I want everything <laughs> the Holy Spirit has, and if you spill it, that's awesome because you you know you're you know, over uh, overflowing. Like you're, he's going to fill you up, you know, running yeah. your cup's going to run over. Right, with him, you know, your cup runneth yeah. over. And, and now that you say that, though, maybe that's part of why they filled it to the brim. Maybe that's part of the imagery Jesus was drawing from. Yeah. is that we think of spilling as a bad thing, right? But really, the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit fills us up. Most of us are trying to serve God from a half full jar. When it's the overflow that he wants us to give from, uh, not from him. More than enough. So spilling it is actually not a bad thing. You're just spilling the Holy Spirit on the way into the sanctuary. I mean, that's not maybe that's not a bad thing, but that's interesting. I've never I've literally never thought of that. But you're right. I mean, how many times am I spilling coffee on any given Sunday? Right. (laughs) Because I think and will not put a lid on my coffee like my wife, you know. I did it on Sunday. Like uh, Evan comes off. He's like, well, I was looking to see if he had a stain on your shirt. Because he saw me drip coffee on my shirt like during like yeah. the second song or something. Because yeah. I'd filled it to the brim, man. I wanted as much coffee as I could get. You mentioned
1: about Paul being poured out as a drink offering uh, later, obviously. Yep. And how, how does that all tie together?
0: That was... Um, man, I felt like that could have had its own sermon and, and maybe its own podcast. And maybe we will now with Rod Dreher this week, but... So the idea that the rest of the story here, right, is the stone jars, the water, into wine. And Jesus, my hour has not yet come. At some point, his clay jar, so to speak, is is going to be destroyed.
1: His earth suit his, to make another
0: yep. band reference. Dude, we're, how, were we like four CCM 90s band references <laughs> Maybe. in? Maybe. Oh, mercy me, man. I, oh, you so, did um, it. Uh, so, his clay jar is going to be destroyed, right? Because it's going to be Im- made, made impure. But from his side, when he is stabbed, water flows. Which is a fascinating... It's the pericardial fluid that he's been stabbed, but water flows. So, his, his blood... His, turn, his wine, so to speak, the, the night before, this, this, this wine represents my blood, yada, yada. And he then on the cross, his water, so his blood turns to water, which is amazing imagery because Isaiah, the prophet says that your sins, though they be as scarlet, will be made white as snow. You've never in a million years would think I'm going to wash out this stain with blood. I'm going to fill up my sink with blood and, and wash my clothes. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy imagery of it, but but the imagery is that the blood is paid for the cleansing of it, but the, the, the miracle of the cross is that it turned wine into water, right? His first miracle is water into wine, the miracle of the cross is wine into water. So that our water of the Spirit that comes out as wine, our water into wine, human bodies are 80% water, by the way. Mine might be about 98% right now, I've been retaining a lot of water, have you noticed? <laughs> I'm a little squishier than I would like to be. Uh I'm like a waterbed walking around with legs, but he he is turning our water into wine. And at the end of Paul's life, he actually refers to this and so Philippians AD 61-ish uh, I think by now Nero is in charge. And Nero uh is is insane. Uh, he, and he's worse than Caligula. He's worse than Tiberius, and these are bad guys. So he's the Roman Republic is long gone, and now it's totalitarianism. And Nero was so bad that he was taking Christians, literally tying them up, dipping them in wax, lighting them on fire in his courtyards to use as torches. And he would. Uh, the history says that he would ride around in his chariot naked while the bodies were burning, screaming, "Behold the light of the world!" Blasphemous. There is for, – for those of you that, that have a problem with hell, I would like to suggest that Satan's like, oh, dude, that's too far. Like I – even I wouldn't have done that. Like – but there's a special place in hell for that guy. That's the guy that's in charge. Paul is in prison. He's writing the church in Philippi. And he's ending his book saying, I might be already being poured out like a drink offering. It's very possible that that's what's happening in my life right now, even if I'm being poured out. In other words, I might not get out of this one alive. You know, even if I have, you should be glad and rejoice with me. And the idea of a drink offering is the imagery that is used in the Old Testament. There's all kinds of requirements for the sacrifice that when a sacrifice, whether it's a bull, a ram, a a lamb, whatever, that there would be wine poured on the sacrifice, and the imagery was of this is the wine for god that this is the sins are forgiven and god god is so happy that your sins are forgiven that he wants to celebrate with you it's not wasted wine this is the imagery that he's using of his persecution and by a second timothy chapter 4 it's now 4 years later and it's no longer if but it is i'm done like it's like i don't we don't know if an execution date it seems like an execution date had already been scheduled but for sure he knew he wasn't getting out of this one i've already, i've fought the good fight i've finished the race i've kept the faith now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness all that language but he starts it with i'm already being poured out like a drink offering And the idea is that in the suffering of that persecution, that it, when he says, rejoice with me, you know, our modern context, we don't, we are so against any kind of suffering at all that this just flies in the face of it. But he's saying that if you've suffered, especially for those of us, who already are and will, and it will get worse for us in our culture. that God sees this. Like it's not God's not shocked. He's not off guard. And that any suffering that you might be experiencing on behalf of being a Christian as being persecuted for your faith, God not only sees it, He is celebrating. Just like you know you did with your kids in football you know, Micah's running the ball, whatever, you're, you're screaming or more likely Jenny, Jenny was probably (laughs) screaming a lot, watching her on the sideline of a football game. Oh man. Hilarious. (laughs) But think of that. That's the imagery of God on the sidelines is Jenny teaming, you know, you know, Micah's running the ball in the end zone. He's, you know, he's standing. In fact, there's only one instance where you see Jesus standing in the new Testament after, and that's when Stephen is a martyr, it says that Jesus was standing. Mm -hmm. He looked up and he saw Jesus standing. Wow not sitting. It's like a mama. She's sitting on the deck. Mom, I, you're going in, you're, you're driving this one home. You're going to make it. You're, you know, mm-hmm. that's the imagery. And the wine is the, is this, is the joy, uh, not only of Paul, but like, I am glad re- rejoice with all of you. And so you two should be glad and rejoice with me. I'm about to, I'm about to spike this ball in the end zone. This is awesome. We need to, by the way, understand that, in our modern context, in a way that we've never needed to understand that before. Our brothers in Morocco, in Iran, you know, they've understood this implicitly. We are the only church that's, for the most part, in the history of Christianity, we've had the longest run of any church of, of without persecution and without uh, marginalization. And those days are gone. In our country, they're gone.
1: Yes. You know, when you talk about suffering and persecution for your faith, like you said, like that's we've enjoyed a good long run, like a long run. Yeah. Uh without it. But unless you're living in a cave and not paying attention at all, um the table has been and it and is being set right now in America. Yeah. Specifically in Western culture, Canada. Um for persecution of our faith and our beliefs. Um, it's already happening.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like it's. It's it's going to get worse. It's getting worse. But it is already in
1: motion. Yes. I mean, the Department of Homeland Security views guys like you and me as a threat. And, and that's yeah. stated, it's documented. Yep. Um, religious beliefs. That are anti government or whatever phrasing they give it they yeah. would they would group guys like you and i as as a threat,
0: yeah, quote
1: unquote to the democracy
0: and right now, inside of public institutions, education schools, um people can say what they want about Project Veritas, like I don't know if this is a nice guy or not, he's probably not a nice guy. But you to do what you to do what he does like I don't know that you know James O'Keefe I, I you know like I if you're if the ball bounces over the fence one more time he's probably not you know it's probably not going to be a good experience in his yard but at the same time guys like you or I who you really I don't really care if the ball bounces over the fence I'm not going to be the guy doing these hidden camera investigations but the thing what he's done in just the last six months revealing unabashed unadulterated marginalization of conservative slash Christian beliefs. He keep the, And I don't know why these keeps, if you're a principal of a public school, I don't know why you keep saying dumb stuff to complete strangers that you've met on. I don't know. Maybe these are Tinder dates for all I know they think, but they're getting them talking and they, and over and over again, they get them admitting, yeah, we don't hire Christians. If you say this, yeah, we don't do this. If you're Catholic, we would never hire you. We can't. The, so it's actually happening. There's an underpinning of it right now because we are considered dangerous Um, And and here's why you know it's madness and you know it's satanic and um, they're not saying this about Muslims, right? Now, take out all the terrorists, take it, all that stuff. The vast majority of Muslim clerics, Muslim uh, followers of Allah actually hold a very conservative view of sexuality, way, way more conservative than ours. They still in Gaza, in Iran, like it's they're literally right now there are two uh, LGBT activists sentenced to death females in Iran right now. But James O'Keefe has not found a single person anywhere, politician, teacher, whatever, saying, yeah, we would never hire a Muslim because they hate they hate gays. They will say that about Christians. And so the point is, it's already here. Yeah. I mean, did you did you watch any of uh
1: the president's address on the soul of America last week. So I did not. I caught bits and pieces. Okay. So, okay. Hot take. Do you,
0: do you yeah. think that, okay. Cause two things are possible here. One, they're just, somebody is fired because it didn't occur to them that that camera shot with nothing but red <laughs> behind him would look like uh
1: Darth mole. How is the PR department like, how does anyone on the PR department
0: have a job this week? Oh, I mean, the the idiots. So you've so you've got the content of this speech, the soul of America, right? <laughs> Matching like see, it's like you know anybody like whether you put the it's like the song selection in a film. You know, you're trying to make it more dramatic, and you, this dark red, this creepy background. And he, you know, he kind of already. I mean, kind of looks like the. I mean, because he's. I mean, he's old. He's really old. Uh, yeah. And he's saying things like you know, you know, us. I mean, and he's maga this or that, you know. But he's not just saying maga. He's saying you know, guys that are conservative, conservative <laughs> beliefs, in which they t- they they take out the spectrum part of it, and
1: everybody that's a conservative is ultra right, one hundred percent by default in their definition. Yeah. And so when the president of the United States is trying to, in their in their attempt to bring unity um you know create some pretty hard lines pretty quickly both in his words and visually yes that you and I are a, a threat to the system yeah um is is a is is a bit frightening for for what's to come because they're they're laying some groundwork
0: it feels like for to, to normalize this ideology yeah i mean yeah so the fact that you have a president saying it out loud He's not saying anything that Joy Behar has not said at a party right. or on The View, right? but he's saying it out loud because he believes it to be politically safe to say it now, that there is enough of an undertone to to be safe for him politically to say this going into an election um, cycle to, to try to cast, you know, this broad sweeping statement, which is like literally totalitarianism 101, you know, I, I guess one of my struggles with this thing is there's
1: there's these camps that are paying attention. They're having conversations about it, like we are right now. They're maybe listening to podcasts and they're, you know, they're keeping up with what's happening. And there's a whole other population of of conservatives, of believers, of the faith that have no idea what we're talking about.
0: I wouldn't yeah, and and it, it might be a fairly large portion or and maybe this is a separate jet stream of it just don't recognize the magnitude of what's happening like it's so a good example right now okay you could be a christian parent like i am looking at universities for your kid and you want what you had for your yourself i wanted a, i want an education i want to go to a university i want to, and without a Without some sort of a recognition that the universities right now, I I mean, for the most part, every state uh, of every state institution, most private institutions are full of indoctrinating ideologies that have nothing to do with your education and everything to do with gender um, ideologies, sexual ideologies have been completely compromised. 100%. So so to to me, that's like there's this jet stream of people that, that I don't think they fully grasp the magnitude the only way I know to, right now to describe it is the conversations we're having in Haiti right now, which is for the last 15 years we've, after the earthquake, 12 years, we've been talking about sustainability, creating something that can you know sustain, that can go on. And, but the circumstances changed on the ground and they changed dramatically. And so if we keep acting like the circumstances are the same, that's what, that's what fools do. Don't recognize this, this, the, the, the change on the ground. In America, the change on the ground – Uh, is all around us and it's happened underneath of us so again like you know the the the, the project veritas thing like he's bringing out these these things have been happening we just didn't know about them but you only know about them right now if you're guys like you know you me or probably people listen to this podcast you spend a lot of time reading and learning but but a lot of us don't a lot of people don't have the time to figure this out right and you know, so part of our job is, you know, to be the ones on the front end, you know, being made fun of until a year later when it's no longer a conspiracy theory. You know, like, oh, actually, it really was true. Uh, but but the jet stream of the one that I'm the most, I'll say this is the one I'm the most concerned about. Those that are just tired. I'm tired of the drama, tired of the division. T- and, and so I, if I just capitulate on this, they'll stop being mean to me. We can all get along now. And that is almost worse than ignorance in general, because th- wearing you down and you letting it, it's it, you're literally giving into uh, an ideology for your children and for your children's children just because you were too tired to do anything about it. Yeah, I'm, Look, I'm tired. Yeah. But dadgummit, dad
1: dadgummit. <laughs> we don't have time to be tired about it. No, because... Unless we want to just hand over our children, our grandchildren over to a false, a false ideology, a a false belief.
0: Yeah. And I'm not saying storm the Capitol with pitchforks and torches, but I am saying men full of the Holy Spirit, women full of the Holy Spirit, get into government jobs, get run for office. Uh, This is not Christian nationalism. All right. That's like saying that Daniel was a Jewish nationalist, that Shadrach, Meshach right. and Abednego were Jewish nationalists. No, no, they're just standing for truth,
1: which is we're you know, we're really excited. We have the honor, <laughs> the privilege of having uh author Rod Dreher into, uh, into the building tomorrow for, for an interview. And we will be live streaming that. And if you're listening after that happens, it'll be on our YouTube channel. Um, but you, you mentioned that he says something um, – well, he's an author for a very famous book, Live Not By Lies. Yes. Which is what we're talking about, that we would not live by the lies of the culture. Yeah. Um, and you also alluded to um, a part – of maybe a part of this book or another book where he talks about moral therapeutic deism. Yeah. That, that's from Live Not By Lies. It's like chapter one, I think. Which is – I mean it sounds really deep. But I know, right? but at, at <laughs> but at the surface of moral therapeutic deism is this idea that God's good and that that He'll
0: work it all out for our, for yeah, our betterment. Th- he wants nothing more from us. He wants nothing more for us, right, than to be nice and to be happy. That's what he wants for us. Um, and on paper, that sounds great. Like that's the Joel Osteen you know doctrine yeah, yeah your best life now mm-hmm. the problem with that doctrine is well first of all it's patently false uh let me put it differently if that were true and it was good theology <laughs> then it means that god doesn't understand the humans that he created god's not stupid right right I, you know my fat butt was on the treadmill again yesterday because the only way you get To be not squishy is decisions that I have to suffer a little bit for, right? I have to make decisions that cause me to suffer. Uh, When you think about the stuff that made you into who you are as a father, that made you into who you were as an entrepreneur, the very painful things happened in your childhood, in your culture, that put you on a path towards being who you are. Suffering. And allowing the, your wine to be poured out. I mean, uh, the, 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 so if you if you, when you watch these superhero movies, OK, Batman and Joker, OK, have pretty much the same origin story. Suffering, injustice, the, you know, almost identical. The only difference is, is what they did with their origin story. One of them became a victim and decided they're going to burn the whole world down and make them all suffer. The other one gave purpose and meaning to their suffering and made the world a better place because of it. Allowing the Holy spirit to move in us, us doing nothing about it, moral therapeutic deism, whatever that God wants us to be happy. I don't want to talk about this stuff. It's no fun. Uh, It doesn't go away. You know, you know, Batman and Joker both, you know, in Gotham uh, became part of a problem. And there were people all over that wanted to ignore the problem just wanted it to go away. Go along to get along. Neither option like that's just not an option for us.
1: Yeah, I've never heard of moral therapeutic deism as a phrase. I didn't I didn't know that was a phrase.
0: It's possible that Dreyer made it up. He could have made it up. I made up Oh oh no, he says I'm sorry. Melinda Lindquist Denton coined the phrase. She coined the phrase. Yeah. I don't know who that is. I wasn't aware of that. I've always called it ostrich syndrome. Mm, yeah, yeah yeah that's actually I like
1: that better which is <laughs> you know just man it's so easy just to bury our heads in the sand and I'm man I've been as guilty as anybody of that over the years but but then over the years as you kind of start taking inventory of what's happening in the world and start piecing some things together and paying attention and being awakened to what is happening especially over the past 30 months yeah. of our lives and what's yeah. still happening, um, you start to question some things and start paying attention and reconciling that with the truth of the word. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to stand on something a little firmer than the sinking sand that is modern culture and modern ideologies that keep shifting and changing the definitions of everything mm-hmm. almost on a weekly basis.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing that the Dreyer he made a good point in his interview with Jordan uh, Peterson. Peterson interviewed him back in early July, and he was he was the guy that uh, – it was the first time – and I was like, oh, man, he's really right. We keep – we keep, and we have used the language of Orwell a lot in 1984. And by the way, lots of truth in that, right? But it's not – we're more akin to uh, Alexander's oh, – I think he says wrong. wrong uh, – Brave New World which was another dystopian type ideology, but it was more about the uh, from the bottom up totalitarianism instead of from the top down totalitarianism that we, and we saw that here, how fast people were willing to turn on their families. Yeah. Turn each other in, tweet about it Mm -hmm. because they weren't obeying the rules. It was a bottom up totalitarianism. And the truth is right now, our culture has one hundred percent is is in the is in the balance. I don't know if we can win back. I, and I'll take it a step further. I'm not even a hundred percent sure we should do it as a goal. Okay. On the other hand, we are in a we have a government that's so far a republic that is a representative government. It is not a bad idea. No matter what anybody, journalists, whatever say, that we have some Jesus people running for school boards, running for aldermen, running for Congress, working in institutions. And and the challenge is, and this is the thing, this is where moral therapeutic deism gets us, is going to get us in trouble, is if you think it's that my only job is to be uh, nice and to be happy and you're not going to be ready to suffer for the truth. We have educators in our country right now who are Jesus people, anatomy teachers, that know that's a dude. If you are forced to now refer to this young man by his preferred pronoun, there is a serious matter of conscience there, and it's not on me to say what is your decision. But I want to say that it's going to take some people, there are going to be people losing their jobs in, in this environment. In fact, in Fort Riley, Kansas, which is like an hour from where I was born, it's where my grandfather worked as a doctor in the, there's an, uh, an army base in Fort, oh, yeah. Fort Riley, Kansas. Yeah. Um, a teacher was just awarded $95,000 because they were fired for not using a student's preferred pronoun litigated against the school board and won. And so that gives me great hope. Because, you know, as as Jordan Peterson has said very clearly, we're not talking about free speech. This is forced speech. Yes. I'm forced now to live by your lie, to participate in your delusion. And Paul, if all Paul had to do was shut up, that's it. Don't talk about this Jesus anymore. And he could have been, he could have lived. He could have lived, but he would have had to have lived as if the lie was true. And Rome was full of lies. And it's, it's, not any, it's not so different from us. It wasn't just that he was saying that Jesus is the Christ. He's saying that adultery is a sin. He's saying that fornication is a sin. And do you think that the, the Roman culture was waving that in? No. I mean, it was built on that. Like that, that by this point in Roman history, man, they, you know, orgies were everywhere. Like It was everywhere in their culture. He, he was offensive to them. And his life being poured out as a drink offering, you know, whatever, so 2,000 years into eternity, whatever that crown of life that he had, I promise you that he's not ticked about it. Like, he's not like, and that sucked. I got ripped off, you know, none of that. Whatever that crown of life is, uh, we we actually have, and this is something to rejoice for in our country, in our culture, we actually now have an opportunity for like bonus round crowns in the kingdom of God, you know, (laughs) because those are crowns we couldn't have earned before because we were able to live our faith real freely. But in many cases, we're not right now. I mean, the fact that on a Sunday right now, I mean, you and I've had, we've had conversations. Should we even, should we find, get ourselves off of YouTube? Because we could get, we could lose our entire platform for some of the things we're saying, which in 100% reality are not controversial statements. But in this culture, they become controversial. And... You know, I've said it before, if the government comes from our tax ID number, come and get it. We're not like the truth is way more important than a tax write-off. Truth is way more important than uh than whether or not we get our we get to be on YouTube or not. That's right.
1: You know, you say you just got caught up to watching Pride and Prejudice. I just got caught up to watching the Terminator this week. Like the original? Nineteen eighty four original Terminator. I realized I had never seen it. We were scrolling through looking for something to
0: watch. <laughs> How deep are you in Netflix by the time you get to Terminator and I? Do like deep. that's pretty bad, dude. <laughs> You've watched a lot of television. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm also learning that. Also, like the Terminator is so dystopian, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And apparently, the world ends in 2029. Was oh, that when it is? Yes, oh, close. But no, that's when the world ends. And uh it's coming for for us all, right? Um, but no, I had not I had not seen that. And it's it was very interesting, Arnold Schwarzenegger and doing the whole thing and yeah. It's very cheesy film, uh, but also very <laughs> forward thinking. Yeah. But interesting that it came out in nineteen eighty four, Orwellian. There was like a lot happening in eighty uh-huh. four.
0: Yeah. Pointing to twenty twenty nine. Yeah, because, by the way, in 1984, 2029, felt like we're all going to be in on flying cars by then, you know? Right. And the truth is, is none of that was coming. But totalitarianism, on the other hand, that one's here. Yeah. Wow. We covered a lot today. You are wrapping up Chapter
1: 2 this weekend. Yep. Okay, wrapping it up. And it gets even spicier, right? Because Jesus goes in with two turntables and a microphone. (laughs) <laughs> and starts flipping some tables and getting after it to the temple. And I have a feeling that uh, we're all going to learn something this weekend.
0: Uh, well, I'm already learning from it. So, not that I, you know, not just because I learned. It. I mean, you know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But you know, I'm I'm looking at this going. Jesus did this twice in his ministry. You know, towards the beginning and then at the end, where he goes into the temple and just starts turning over tables. And the tables that he's turning over are of Pharisees, those that are making you earn your way into the kingdom of God. And the difference between the last time that I taught this and the present time that I've taught through this is before when, when I thought of saved by works, I only thought of Uh, Like the independent, you know, fundamentalist Baptist backgrounds that you come from or the charismatic one that I came from, which is about works to earn your salvation. We have a very liberal slash secular version of that right now, which is if you just do this, then you can be okay. You can. And it is 100 percent crept into our churches, into our Twitter feeds you know, this man said a mean thing, so he has to be cast out and until he he repents in the way that is sufficient for me, then he can be forgiven. And Jesus that that ticks Jesus off. Um because basically what you're doing is creating a table to put yourself in between that person and him. And he uh he I mean he made his own whip in this one.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. We'll right? talk about that next week, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Wow. So yeah end of chapter two uh, the, the series is Believe through the book of John and uh, man there's so much we're just I love doing these expository teachings uh, verse by verse chapter by chapter we just learn so much we get, we gain a lot of context to what is happening and, and how it applies to our life even today and so we're just so glad that you would join us each week on our journey.